0: And the way Jesus thinks of belief is the active participation, the active work of following. And that makes believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus. Believing is following. What you believe about Jesus will change everything you know about yourself, your world, your destiny. Welcome to our series on the Gospel of Mark, Son of God. Do you enjoy shopping for others? Are you one of those people that loves to run out all times of the year, maybe visit a store like the Christmas tree shop, or as you're just going through Target or browsing Amazon online, you think, gosh, that would make a really great gift for this person, their birthday anniversary, something's coming up, it's Christmas, it's a, it's a big occasion, I could buy this for them. If you're one of those people, uh, I just want you to know I pray for you on a regular basis because I think most of us, or if people are like me, I guess I should say, shopping isn't always the easiest thing to do. Getting gifts for others isn't always easy. And there's a lot of reasons why. I think sometimes it's really hard when we don't know them all that well. Or it's a person who has a real interest and has a hobby, perhaps, that they've had for many, many, many years. And they kind of have all the things that go along with that. So you know that a friend is into golfing, let's say, and they have gloves and shoes and all the different kinds of balls and clubs that would work in all kinds of situations and shirts and memberships. They not only have a golf bag, but they have a golf cart. They have their own golf cart that they drive around the golf course, of course, where they have a membership. And so some people can be hard to buy for when they kind of seem to have all the things that go along with their hobbies and interests. But sometimes we just don't know what they like. We don't know what they need. And sometimes even when they like or need something, that it turns out to be the wrong occasion in getting them that gift. I remember a friend of mine when we lived in Canada, bought his wife something that she had said that she wanted. I think it was for her birthday or perhaps it was for uh, Christmas or some other event like that. But it was a big day. It was kind of focused on giving a gift for her. And he got her a Dustbuster vacuum. Now, if you don't know what a Dustbuster is, it was uh, one of the first cordless portable vacuums ever created. It was a small little unit about the size of a shoebox that you would take and you'd be able to vacuum up crumbs that spilled on, on, in the car or on the couch or you'd be able to do the stairs more quickly. Had a long charge, a little tiny bag that you'd empty out after you used and then you'd put it on its charger and it would be ready to go for the next day. It was far more convenient than lugging around a vacuum or an upright canister, uh, anything, uh, like that, like we 'd normally use to vacuum our homes, so my friend 's wife said, "I really like this this dustbuster. I think that would be great." and so he got one for her birthday or whatever uh, big day it was, I believe it was birthday, but he, he got her one for that special day. He got her a dustbuster vacuum. How do you think that went? And what he learned, and what we know, is that sometimes we give the right gift, something that people say they want, something that people say that they need, but the occasion turns out to be wrong. Sometimes it's hard to give gifts simply because we don't know what they want and we don't know what they need. And even when we do, it seems like that's the wrong occasion to give it to them. Well, As we continue in our series, Son of God, that can happen to us as we follow Jesus. That same principle. Let me explain to you what I mean. Last week, we talked about the idea that believers are followers. That some Christians in the past have made Christianity about a one-and-done event. I prayed a prayer at a campsite fire at summer camp. Or I was baptized as uh, in my church, or I went through a class, a catechism class, and I and I passed, and therefore I'm a Christian. I I go to church. I took this class. I did this thing. That's what makes me a believer. But believing always translates into action, and. As believers, what Jesus does is he says, listen, let me make this belief something really, really easy for for you to understand. He says, follow me. In other words, believers are followers. In other words, it's less about a moment in time where you did things, where you checked things off the checkbox list but rather an ongoing action, an ongoing attitude that says, I'm going to follow Jesus and make his priority, his mission, my priority, my mission in life. And that begs the question, how do we do that? How do we follow Jesus without falling into the checkbox trap? Well, I think the answer is found in the word follower. If Jesus called us followers, what does that make Jesus? We are the followers. He is the leader. That's right. He's the leader. And I think just knowing myself and knowing my experience of being a pastor for over 20 years now, I think this is something that Christians need to work on this perspective a little bit more. We need to work on it more than you and I might realize. Here's how that all ties together. Sometimes what we want and what we need as followers of Jesus isn't always the best thing. Let me show you what I mean. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Mark chapter 1 and take a look at this amazing story that happens to Jesus in Mark chapter 1 verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach, and the people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as teachers of the law. You know, that's, that's interesting, and what Mark is saying here is that Jesus taught in a way that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't teach, that he He didn't rely on the traditional interpretations that layered upon layer upon the text in order to help people understand what that text actually meant. Jesus went right to the heart of the text and said, this is what it is, this is why it's true to life, and this is how we can apply that today. And that's really interesting because it means that Jesus showed that the Bible was true to life more than he showed that the Bible was true to tradition. And that's fascinating because one of the things I learned early on in ministry that my mentor said over and over again was that something's not true because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's true. It's the best explanation of how we understand life and reality. And so that's fascinating and Jesus cut through all of those layers of the tradition that was the authority that they had it was a it was a fresh message because it peeled away all of the layers like peeling wallpaper back reveals um all of the, the beauty of a wall or peeling uh, all of the, the stains and covers of hardwood floor. It reveals the beauty of the original hardwood. That's what Jesus was doing with his teaching. So he had authority in his teaching. But not only that, Jesus had authority in other places as well because we read in verse 23 that just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? a new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him and news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now let me pause there and ask you this question. What do you think would have been more impressive? The authority in his teaching or the authority in his exorcism? I think if Jesus were to do that today in our midst, if that were to happen, then what people would do as they left church and they went to lunch or as they were talking in the evening, they wouldn't be talking about the message Jesus was teaching. They would be talking about the exorcism that he performed. That would have been absolutely mind-blowing. And that's the kind of authority that Jesus had. And words spread like wildfire, Mark says as soon as they left the synagogue in verse 29 as soon as they left the synagogue they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her and so he went to her took her hand and helped her up the fever left her and she began to wait on them That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out demons, many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Jesus' ministry was catching like wildfire, but... Jesus tells them, tells the demons, don't tell people who I am. And that's really confusing. If you have this kind of authority, if you have this kind of ability, just because you're the son of God, you are God in the flesh, why wouldn't you want people to know that? Why do you think? Well, some say that maybe it wasn't Jesus' time to reveal who he was, the big messianic secret, but I'm not so sure about that. Mainly because the previous chapter, if you remember last week's sermon, Jesus said that when John the Baptist went into prison, he started to preach a message saying, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. And the fact that God himself announced from heaven at Jesus' baptism that you are my son whom I love. It was announced. It was public. It was something that Jesus was teaching that God has announced. I don't think there was a conspiracy, a, a messianic secret in this way. So that I don't think it wasn't the fact that it wasn't Jesus' time to reveal himself. Or. Maybe Jesus just didn't know the old marketing axiom that no publicity is bad publicity. Maybe he wanted to make sure that he had full control over the message that he was sending. I mean, we, we want to do that. We want to control how people perceive us and look at us. That so We curate our photos and posts on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We, we do all of that. So maybe that's what Jesus is doing. Except... Back then, it seems to be having the impact that you would want to have. Jesus is getting the, the attention that he wants to have. It seems that people are coming to him as, as someone who can heal them. And these are legitimate needs. Things that only God can do, that people were desperate for God to do, know that Jesus can do those things. So that can't be it. It's not a publicity problem. Well, maybe Jesus didn't really just trust the demons because, you know, you're just switching sides. Maybe the demons were saying things like, well, you know, Jesus is here, game's up, game's over. Let's just stop. Let's get on the winning side. Let's get on the winning bandwagon. And Jesus was saying, no, you aren't allowed on the bandwagon. You made the choice. Maybe that, no, that, that's not it either. What? What is the problem? Why does Jesus keep telling the demons to be silent when he should be allowing them to proclaim the greatest enemy, this is the one, this is the victor? What does Jesus know that we don't? We read on in the story in verse 35 that very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you! Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. And so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Even Jesus' followers said, Jesus, you're missing a huge opportunity to demonstrate to people you are the Son of God. You are missing this opportunity. Get up, it's time to get moving. There's ministry to be done, and Jesus says, actually, it's time to go. Why? Because Jesus knew that even though driving out demons, that healing diseases was important, it wasn't the most important To him. To Jesus, he believed that his teaching was more important than his healing and exorcism. To Jesus, he felt his instruction was more necessary than his intervention. That the best way to intervene was not through exorcism and healings, but the best way was through his teaching. And that's interesting. Because what Jesus is saying here is that sometimes people don't know what they need the most. He knew that the demons weren't on his side. And after some time in prayer, I think this is one of the greatest temptations Jesus would face outside of the cross. That after some time in prayer, Jesus realized that they were tempting him to do really good, needed things, but not the most necessary thing. And what that means is that we need his instruction more than his intervention. As followers of Jesus, we need his instruction, his teaching, his preaching, more than we need his intervention. If that's true, if Jesus is right, then that has a couple of powerful implications for us. The first is this. One states, one of these statements says, you know what I need. While the other says, I know what I need. As followers, following the leadership of Christ, one of the things that often happens to us as as Christians, as followers, is that we often come to him and say, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need. And it's not often that we come to him saying, Lord, what is it that I need? And what Jesus is implying here is that neither one are bad. Jesus was willing to do both, but he wanted to make sure that he had the chance to teach and preach and instruct more than anything else. For Jesus, he wanted to make sure that we got the whole experience of who he is and what he was offering to do as the Son of God. Most of the time when we go to the doctor, we go because we have a problem. We go to the doctor and the doctor says, what brings you in today? And we say, here's my need. Here's what I want you to do. I have a pain, I have this thing, I want you to check this out because this is happening. And the doctor will respond because that's how they're trained to do. But if that's all we go to the doctor for, we actually miss out on a lot of what the medical industry can do and offer us to transform our lives. It's one of the reasons why doctors offer annual visits because it's at those annual visits and those checkups where they can run some tests and we can say, Doctor, what is it that we need? And Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't leave part of who I am on the table as the Son of God because I can not just heal you. I can not just deal with some of your uh, needs. I can deal with your greatest need if you let me. But you have to let me lead. You have to ask more what is it that I need versus say, Jesus, here is what I need. We know that all of us have implicit biases when it comes to our own self-understanding and that we all deceive ourselves in some way. We look at the way other people live and eat and, and, and uh, drive even, and we say, oh, we'd never do those things even though we do, and we just assume that their consequences will never happen to us. Those things will never happen to us. We have a bias where uh, when we hear information that agrees with what we already believe, we think that information is true and we like that person even more. We have all those kinds of biases that just reinforce and tell us that we think we know what we need. But isn't it interesting that the wisest man Whoever lived, a man named Solomon would say in the book of Proverbs, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, the Lord. In other words, ask him, what is it I need? And he will make your paths straight. What made Jesus authoritative was that he stripped away all of the tradition, all of what other people were saying, and helped us understand what God is saying through his word. And it's fascinating that if we didn't have God's word, if we didn't have the Old Testament and the New Testament, we wouldn't know anything about God. We would see our broken world, we would see our broken lives and the things that go wrong in our relationships, and we would assume that there's some God out there that's judging us and we need to appease him in some way and that we need to offer sacrifices or we need to do, you know, we need to earn his favor and love and we need to earn him because otherwise he's going to crush us like bugs. And the Bible tells us the exact opposite. They tell us that the problem is even greater than you could ever understand, but that God loves us so much, He's going to do something about it personally by paying for our sins with the death and resurrection of His Son. We wouldn't know that if it wasn't for God's word his inspired holy scriptures to us and that's what jesus wants to do for us most of all is help us to know the truth about who god is the truth about who we are and how we can change and how god wants to help us change to transform us to sanctify us to be like jesus We need to know and meditate on his word more than we know. And Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, his indwelling spirit, wants to teach us. We we limit Jesus when we say, more often, I know what I need. Meet this need. Than when we come to him and say, Jesus, what is it that I need? This isn't to say that it's not wrong to come to him and say, Lord, here is what I need. That doesn't mean that we can't ask him for his supernatural provision. But when we do that, we we essentially take the buffet table of all that Jesus is as the Son of God, all of who he is, all of the options, all the variety, all the choice, all the freedom, and we limit it to one or two options to say, this is what it means to have you as God to me. And doing that, says this is god to me it shrinks god down it whittles god down it says this is who you are and you have to come to me on my terms and that's very dangerous it twists scripture to say this is who what you have to do in order for you to be god for me and and well that's how we get heresies Like a health and wealth gospel that says, unless God makes me healthy, then I either have to keep earning his uh, mercy and attention or somehow he's failing me. If he doesn't make me wealthy, then I have to somehow do things differently. I just don't have enough faith or something like that. or, Or he's just not paying enough attention to me. This God is not a God for me. And we try to control who God is when we ask, when we, when we tell him this is what I need too much because it says that I know what I need more than you do. And as followers, we need to let Jesus live. That's the first implication. One says, Jesus, you know what I need. The other says, Jesus, I know what I need. This is what you need to do. Will you please do this? And letting Jesus lead us assumes that we don't always know what we need and secondly the second implication is this is that the mission of jesus cannot be accomplished without the message of jesus that if the son of god if all he's known for is healings then All we ever deal with in life are the symptoms, are the results of a much bigger problem, the one that Jesus wanted to tell us about in his word, the one that he wanted to show. This is how to be right with God through faith, that the actual disease of sin is what's causing us to be separated from God. We deal with just the symptoms of all the things that sin is causing, and we try to solve it in our own strength. So as followers, we need to prioritize the message as we follow Jesus in his mission. Sometimes we can get so focused on doing good things that we miss that opportunity. We feel good when we do good things, right? It feels good to serve the poor. It feels good to put some money in the donation plate or to make a donation to a local charity. It feels good. But if it's not often tied to the message of Jesus, it only does temporary good, not eternal good. It needs to be connected. I know some Christians um, who become addicted to the fact that people need them and they develop a Messiah complex. They like being the one that people come to to provide. But the message of the good news needs to constantly be connected to, woven throughout like a fabric that's indistinguishable in the life that we wear so that people know why we do the good the good news has to be woven into the good that we do. So for Jesus, he leaves and doesn't prioritize. He still serves, he still heals, he still casts out demons, and it's still incredible, but he asks his followers, he asks you and me, to do one simple thing as we follow him, and that's this. Let's be sure that we're asking Him, what is it that I need? More than we're saying to Him, this is what I need. And the difference will change your life for all of eternity. Some questions for you as we close this morning. You can journal about them, talk about them with your friends or family uh, as we wrap up today. And we'll be talking about them in our growth groups this week. Here they are. Question one, can you think of a time in your life that Jesus didn't answer a need the way you expected, but used it as a way to change you to be more like him? And question two, what are some ways that you'd like to improve your study and meditation on God's word? Following Jesus will ask him, what do I need more than say to him here's what i need let me pray for you jesus it is so easy to come to you with all of our problems because we know you are the solution to all of those things but lord sometimes we don't know what we need the most And ultimately, what we need most in our lives is to trust you and let you lead. So would you help us, Lord, to be the kind of Christians, the kind of believers, the kind of followers who ask more often, Lord, what is it that we need? Use your scripture. Use the Holy Spirit as he guides us into our study and meditation on your word to illuminate our hearts and lives so that we know how we can be more like you. And would you use it to sanctify us and change us so that we are transformed to be in your image. Lord, we are so thankful that we can bring our needs to you. And Lord, would you help us to remember that you know what we need more than we do and would you help us to trust you as we ask you lord what is it that we need today and would you teach us would you transform us i pray in jesus name amen